Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are getting the statement by Moshe to the people about this whole covenant deal. And we're going to get a very graphic description of the terms of the covenant. So hang with me. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> we're going to start at chapter 27, verse 11. Thereupon Moses charged the people, saying, After you have crossed the Jordan, the following shall stand on Mount Gerizim when the blessing for the people is spoken. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And for the curse, the following shall stand on Mount Ebal. Ruven, God, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. The Levites shall then proclaim in a loud voice to all the people all right, of Israel. So this is a ceremony that's going to happen when they cross over into the land. Half of the tribes are on one mountain, half of the tribes are on the other, uh, and the Levites are going to, let's say, chant uh, the following. Cursed be anyone who makes a sculptured or molten image, abhorred by the Lord, a craftsman's handiwork, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall respond, Amen. 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 Cursed be he who insults his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who moves his fellow countrymen's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. 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 Cursed be he who misdirects a blind person on his way, and all the people shall say, Amen. Yeah. Cursed be he who subverts the rights of the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his father's wife, for he has removed his father's garment, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who lies with any beast, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his sister, whether daughter of his father or of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed be he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who strikes down his fellow countrymen in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who accepts a bribe in the case of the murder of an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be he who will not uphold the terms of this teaching and observe them, and all the people shall say, Amen. All right, now tell me something that most of these things, and I'm going to argue all, have in common. Interpersonal. The relations with other people. Well, not idolatry. Oh, right. It's all yeah. of the community. They're definitely having to do with community, yeah. but again, mm-hmm. idolatry. Many of us, men's relationship with women. There's all secret animals. Nature, a secretive nature about it. Ha 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 ha. They're all done privately. They're mm-hmm. all done secretly. Ah. These are things that you can do and nobody knows that you're doing them. Right? These are the ones that are labeled here as this will bring upon you a curse. So this is trying to legislate 
people's private behavior. It's not enough that you don't steal from each other and don't kill each other. It's not enough. You also, in your own inner self, have to line up with righteous behavior. So all of these things are things that could be gotten away with, presumably, but who's going to see and who's going to punish for it? God. Now, if you obey the Lord your God to observe faithfully all his commandments, which I enjoin upon you this day, (laughs) the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings shall come upon you and take effect, if you will but heed the word of the Lord your God. Blessed be you in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the issue of your womb, the produce of your soil, and the offspring of your cattle, the calving of your herd, and the lambing of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall, be, blessed shall you be in your comings, and blessed shall you be in your goings. The Lord will put to rout before you the enemies who attack you. They will march out against you by a single road, but flee from you by many roads. The Lord will ordain blessings for you upon your barns and upon all your undertakings. He will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that the Lord's name is proclaimed over you, and they shall stand in fear of you. The Lord will give you abounding prosperity in the issue of your womb, the offspring of your cattle, and the produce of your soil and the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to assign to you. The Lord will open for you his his bounteous store, the heavens, to provide rain for your land in season and to bless all your undertakings. You will be creditor to many nations, but debtor to none. All right, finish it out. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You will always be at the top and never at the bottom. If only you obey and faithfully observe the commandments of the Lord your God that I enjoin upon you this day. And do not deviate to the right or the left from any of the commandments that I adjoin upon you this day and turn to worship, to the worship of other gods. Okay, so that sounds pretty good. (laughs) Right? Like, everything's going to be good. We should just stop there. Right? (laughs) But Sheldon, you know that it's not going to stop there, right? No. Right here, here we come with the disjunctive of in verse 15. But <laughs> if you <clears throat> now, am I supposed to say this in a low voice? No, you can go ahead. Oh, we're, they, we can handle read, it. Is this the part they read in a low voice yes. during a tour because it's so mean? <laughs> but if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe faithfully all his commandments and laws which I adjoin upon you this day. All these curses shall come upon you and take effect. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the country. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the issue of your womb and the produce of your soil, the calving of your herd and the lambing of your flock. Cursed shall you be in your comings, and cursed shall you be in your goings. The Lord will let use against you calamity, panic, and frustration in all the enterprises you undertake, so that you shall soon be utterly wiped out because of your evil doing in forsaking me. We should just stop there, right? (laughs) But the Lord will make pestilence cling to you 
until he has put an end to you in the land that you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with consumption, fever, and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew. They shall hound you until you perish. The skies above your head shall be copper and the earth under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land dust and sand shall drop on you from the sky until you are wiped out. Go on. I know. <laughs> the Lord will put you to rout before your enemies. You shall march out against them by a single road, but flee from them by many roads. And you shall become a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall become food for all the birds of the sky and all the beasts of the earth, and with none to frighten them off. And it gets worse. The Lord will strike you with the Egyptian inflammation, with hemorrhoids, (laughs) boil scars, and itch from which you shall not recover. The Lord will strike you, and this gets psychological, with madness, blindness, and dismay. You shall grope at noon as a blind man gropes in the dark. You shall not prosper in your ventures, but shall be constantly abused and robbed with none to give help. If you pay the bride price for a wife, another man shall enjoy her. If you build a house, you shall not live in it. If you plant a vineyard, you shall not harvest it. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your ass shall be seized in front of you, and it shall not be returned to you. Your flock shall be delivered to your enemies with none to help you. Your sons and daughters shall be delivered to another people while you look on, and your eyes shall strain for them constantly, but you shall be helpless. A people you do not know shall eat up the produce of your soil and all your grains, and you shall be abused and downtrodden continually until you are driven mad by what your eyes behold. The Lord will afflict you at the knees and thighs with a severe inflammation from which you shall never recover from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. Have we heard enough? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so... It's bad stuff. Last week better. Yeah. yeah. Okay, it's really bad when you like last week better. All right, so we, we are getting a long list, and the list actually goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, right? So the list goes on um, and concludes with scattering the people, right? They will be exiled, essentially. Uh, Verse 69, these are the terms of the covenant which Adonai commanded Moses to conclude with the Israelites in the land of Moab, in addition to the covenant which was made with them at Chorev. So this is, remember, a religious reform. So we have to reference the original covenant, the covenant at Chorev. What is Chorev? Sinai. Sinai. So the covenant at Sinai, um, this is in addition to that. All right. Tell me what, I picked these on purpose out of the ones that Bert so elegantly, eloquently read. Tell me. Why I picked these? What do they? What do they remind you of? Thank you. The plagues. The 
plagues in Egypt. My teacher at Hartman, uh, Micha Goodman, who wrote the book Catch 67, um, he taught us on, on this Parsha, he taught us on this piece of text, uh, and he said, it is on purpose that it reminds us of the plagues in Egypt. And if you look at the Hebrew, with these eyes, it leaps off the page from the Haggadah. Leaps off the page. Because Micha says, the reason that these are listed here, the reason that these are given, is to say to the Israelites who were redeemed from slavery in Egypt, when you is put in the mouth of Moshe, talking to the generation who didn't know slavery. He's talking to a generation that was raised in the Midbar, raised in the desert. And he says to them, don't become Egypt. I took you out of Egypt. I took your ancestors out of Egypt. You are free because I, God, took your parents out of slavery. Do not, now of course this is written way, way after that. Long have they been in the land. And what do you think the Deuteronomist thinks about Israeli, Israelite society? They'll go right back there. <clears throat> They've become Egypt. So if you become Egypt, says God in this text, I will treat you like Egypt. Don't you think for one second that you are immune from what I did to Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. Don't you think for one second you are entitled to anything different if you behave like Egypt? I will treat you exactly like I treated Egypt. I was struck by how much of this reading put me in mind of some of the prophets uh, who were going around and castigating uh, of Israel. I wondered whether some of this was taken from what they said or vice versa. Well, Micha had a wonderful comment that cracked us all up. He said, prophecy doesn't work with Jews. <laughs> the prophet says, I have, beho- I have beheld Adonai and Adonai has spoken to me saying, <laughs> but find a book. Read a book and Everything changes, right? Like, it's, it's crazy, right? But that prophecy doesn't work. So yes, the prophets are yelling and screaming. Yes, the prophets are saying exactly the same kind of thing. It's not until you find a book and read it to the Jews that anything changes, right? That we have this massive religious reform. The people of the book. The people, it's so, publisher parish, exactly. So, so the idea is you have become corrupt like Egypt. And if you do that, what's going to happen is I'm going to deliver upon you everything and worse and worse. They were Egyptian. What did they know? You, you have known my deliverance. You were given a deal. You were given an offer. You were chosen by me for a special relationship and you become Egypt. 
the list is way longer than 10. Right? Way bigger, way longer than 10 plagues. On the other hand, this among the fundamentalists can lead to the thing when something goes bad, it must be your fault because you didn't like we deserve the Holocaust or, or, or blaming people for being sick. You're, of course. Yeah. You got cancer. Right. What did, you must have done something morally wrong. So how, how, do, how do we sort that one out? We're not fundamentalists. <laughs> right? we're, we're, we're not fundamentalists. This is, this is, first of all, if you, first of all, you can read this as cause and effect. Right? If you don't walk in paths of godliness, you're going to overconsume. And if you overconsume, you're going to destroy the fertility of your soil. And if you do that, you won't have any crops. Right? So, the, so some people want to read the blessings are if you walk in the paths of holiness, then you create blessing. You create a society of blessing. And the same will happen if you don't do that. You create a culture of curse. But for me, okay, that's lovely. If you want to reconstruct this that way, fine. The problem is there are things that happen that don't have a cause that we can say, oh, well, if she were living in the lines of uh, holiness, then she wouldn't have had fill in the blank happen to her. And we just, so I'm always nervous. I'm all about we need to be facing the consequences of our behavior. Don't get me wrong. But, I, but I'm, I'm always nervous about yeah, it's any kind of putting why. On the questions of what happens well, to people. Well, also, I was struck by how it was every, you have to follow every, every, every thing of orthodox, even though I, I don't know all the rules, but there's what, 600 plus laws that you do every day, right? And obviously, we don't do those, so, yeah. So you're saying it feels absolutist? In, that this, in, the, in what I just read. Because it doesn't say you can kind of do this and we don't do that. You've got to do all of them. Or else all of these things. Well, part of it is how do we understand the covenant? It says, if you keep my covenant, right. mm-hmm. if you follow my laws, right, then, right, right we, you know, so part of it is what, what are they referencing? There are not mm-hmm. 613 that everybody's supposed to do every day. Right. Sukkot okay. happens once a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. okay. Right? So, I mean, you know, so, yeah, yeah. So part of it is we've been, we're so used to that parlance. True. That it sounds and feels overwhelming. There wasn't kashrut, really. Here are the animals you can eat, here are the ones you can't, period. How hard is that? Okay, right. Don't eat a camel, okay? <laughs> I won't eat a camel, right? So, but yeah. it, it, it's not like they had three sets of dishes. Right. Well, well four sets of dishes. But I think one of the points, if, if, we, look at, if we look at the, ch- the way the chapter is, is set out, the good stuff is relatively short, and the bad stuff is relatively long. But I think that that's intentional because it's sort of it's not hard to figure out how we should live, right? We should get along with our neighbors. We shouldn't steal from our neighbors. We should we should help our neighbors. You know, so that list, in a way, is relatively short. But the teasing out of all the terrible ways that life can go wrong. If you're not living, if your society is not living in that way, you know, that can that gets lots of explication because once the world starts falling apart, it falls apart in ways that you never anticipated. And it's and 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 so um, 
you know, the, the good stuff for a lot of people is like yada yada yada. We know all that stuff. You know, we know, you know, we know what a good society is. You may think you know what a good society is, but you have no idea what a bad society looks like. Right. And and it's there to articulate exactly all the ways it can go wrong right. to scare us. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, like, right? Mm-hmm. Is there commentary on why a lot of Leviticus 18 is not in here? In terms in, of? In terms of there are some banned sexual relations, but it doesn't include, for example, a man lying with a man is with a woman. It's not repeated here. Um, I'm not sure what the what the agenda. I mean, Leviticus, Leviticus has a different agenda. Let me put it that right. way okay. than the Deuteronomist. Okay. The, the, the Levitical authors have a, a different worldview mm-hmm. and have a different project than the Deuteronomist. Right? The Deuteronomist is clearly not as concerned about categories of permitted and forbidden. It's concerned about who you shouldn't have intimate relationships with because it'll screw up the family, right? These are prohibited because it will really screw up family dynamics in a way that's going to undermine the basic basic building blocks of society. All right. Um, Okay. So... This, so this is talking about, essentially, I took you out of Egypt, don't be Egypt. Or you're going to have what happened to them happen to you. All right, so talk to me about, so we know that one of the big moving outs in our Bible, um, Lisa, yes. would, would you uh, give out brown books? Sure. One of the big moving out things about our people becoming a people is the Exodus. Right? The, ex- the Exodus is from where? Where are we coming out of? We're coming out of Egypt. No, no, brown. Brown, brown, brown. Tanakh. Okay. I should have known better than to think I could keep talking. <laughs> right. But it's a group of Jews. That, that would never be written. I don't know. Yeah, right. Fine. <laughs> Yes, tell me. When were the different books in the store? Tell me what you mean when you say Torah. The five books is written over a thousand year period. Stories starting about 1000 BCE um, through the um, 
about, about a thousand years. Are what in order? No, they are not in order. Because parts of Genesis and parts of Exodus are from the earliest sources, J and E. Psalms, many of the Psalms are earlier than the Genesis text. So it's really, it's, it's quite out of order in that sense. D is the last or the most current of the writers. Uh, uh, and so D is in the right place. Right, if, if we're going that way. So most people put it post-exilic, post-586. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to turn to <laughs> Wait, first of all, tell me. So we have the Exodus, and the Exodus is about going out from Egypt. Yes? Yes. All right. What what happened before that? What was a big going out? Not big. What, what was a, a going out that started our people? Thank you. Abraham, right? Where did Abraham go out from? Huh? Yes, tell me bigger than Haran. Bigger. Mesopotamia. I don't know how to spell in English, much less in Hebrew. All right, so... So Abraham first leaves Mesopotamia and heads towards the promised land, yeah? To Israel. The Exodus is out from Egypt to Israel. These are the huge empires of their time. What we have is and this is all based on the lecture from Hartman from Micha Goodman. <coughs> what we have in our story is counterintuitive to what people do. People move to the great empires. People move to the great civilizations. You don't leave Manhattan and go to South Georgia. Right? Well, yeah, some of us did. But you don't, you don't leave the huge civilization that has all the art and the culture and the food and the music and the wealth and all of that and go to this tiny little schlepper territory called Israel. Right? So from the beginning, our story is a counterintuitive narrative about leaving the major centers and going to this tiny little place between them, right? We left both empires. We left Mesopotamia and we left Egypt. So between those two empires is this tiny little nothing, piece of territory, right? And all of our stories are about leaving those places and coming to this one little place, which, P.S., by the way, gets run over every time there's conflict between those empires this little territory is flattened right decimated mm -hmm. right and that's 
and when we talk about, we've talked about this before, but the United Kingdom of Judea and Israel lasted 100 years. And then, pfft, right? And you have conquering coming from Babylonia. All right, so our story starts with Abraham leaving Babylonia, leaving Mesopotamia and going to Israel. And the other big story is leaving Egypt and going to Israel. Okay, so normally we finish reading at the end of Deuteronomy and we're like, yay, time to start again at Genesis. But the end of Deuteronomy is not the end of the Deuteronomic history. Like, remember I told you about the Deuteronomic history? A little bit? All right. So the Deuteronomist is not done at Deuteronomy. The Deuteronomist isn't done until the story's over. When does the story for the Deuteronomist end? Josiah. The point of the Deuteronomist is Josiah. King Josiah and the religious reform. And that is when the end of the Deuteronomic history happens. And where do we see that? Two kings. Chapter 25. On the seventh day of the fifth month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards and officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down the house of every notable person. The entire Chaldean force that was with the chief of the guard tore down the walls of Jerusalem on every side. The remnant of the people that was left in the city, the defectors who had gone over to the king of Babylon, and the remnant of the population were taken into exile by Nebu, is it Nebuzaradan? Sure. Okay. <laughs> the chief of the guards. But some of the poorest in the land were left by the chief of the guards to be the vine dressers and field hands. All right, so Jerusalem is sacked by Babylon. Babylon. Sacked by the Mesopotamians. But, and, and its population carried off, but some of the poor in the land are left there by the chief of the guards to be vine dressers and field hands. So there's still people there, still Jews there, okay? Go ahead. The Chaldeans uh, broke up the bronze columns of the house of the Lord, the stands, the bronze tank that was in the house of the Lord, and they carried the bronze away to Babylon. They also took all the pails, scrapers, snuffers, ladles, and all the other bronze vessels used in the service. The chief of the guards took whatever was, gold, was of gold and whatever was of silver, fire pans and sprinkling bowls. The two columns, the one tank and the stands of, that Solomon provided for the house of the Lord, all these objects contained bronze beyond weighing. The one column was 18 cubits high. It had bronze, a bronze capital above it. The height of the capital was three cubits, and there was a meshwork decorated with pomegranates about the capital, all made of bronze, and the like was true of the other column with its meshwork. Okay, we never read this. We never read this. What happened? It was all carried off, mm -hmm. all of it. 
down to the silver candle snuffers. Everything was carried off as loot. Okay, go on. The chief of the guards also took uh, Seraiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the deputy priest, and the three guardians of the threshold. And from the city he took a eunuch who was in command of the soldiers, five royal privy counselors who were present in the city, the scribe of the army commander who was in charge of mustering the people of the land, and 60 of the common people who were inside the city. Nebuzaradan, the chief of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon had them struck down and put to death at Riblah in the region of Hamath. Okay, go on. Thus Judah was exiled from its land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon put Gedaliah, son of Achimon, son of Shaphan, in charge of the okay, people. Okay, pay attention. King Nebuchadnezzar puts Gedaliah ben Achim ben Shaphan in charge of the people when he left the land of Judah. There are still enough people in Judah that Gedaliah is in charge of them. He's been put in charge by Nebuchadnezzar. Okay. Is this the vine dressers and field hands? And the Presumably, but there's got to be some before. other folks, right? Okay, okay go ahead. Uh, when the officers of the troops and their men heard that the king of Babylon had put Gedaliah in charge, they came to uh, Gedaliah, I'm sorry, at Mizpah with Ishmael, son of uh, Nathaniah, Netanya Yohanan, son of Karea, Sariah of of Tanahumet, the Netaphatite. Thank you. Uh, And Jezaniah, son of the Maachite, together with their men. Why do they name all these people? Okay. Gedaliah reassured them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. All right, so we have, right, Ishmael is the leader. Just don't worry about the rest of them. Ishmael and his buddies come to Gedaliah, and Gedaliah says, do not be afraid of the Babylonians. Don't be afraid of them. Stay in the land and serve the king of Babylon and it will go well with you. Just settle down. We have a good deal. We have a nice detente. We have a good arrangement. It's going to be fine. Calm down. Is Gedalia Babylonian or is he one of the... Israelite. He's been put in charge of his people by Nebuchadnezzar. Right? So he's working for Nebuchadnezzar and is saying, just don't don't make waves, people. That's a good deal. What about the 60 people that got killed? The We don't want to be them. We don't want to be them. Go back to the field. Do your, do your vine dressing. And let's be quiet. And let's try to stay low. Is there a real... I mean, I, I've heard for years about the Feast of Gadal. Some Gedalia. It's a different yes. one. Different well, I never knew where it came from. But is, it, is, it still, is it the same guy? Is it this? No. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. Go on. In the seventh month, 
Ishmael, son of Netaniah, son of Elishama, who was of royal descent, came with ten men, and they struck down Gedaliah, and he died. They also killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were present with him at Mizpah. And all the people, young and old, and the officers of the troops set out and went to Egypt because they were afraid of the Chaldeans. All right. Ha, 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 ha. Yes, you saw that was coming, didn't you, Richard? Mesopotamia conquers Jerusalem, okay. and the Jews are exiled to Babylon. They go back. What happens at the end of our story? Gedaliah is appointed over them, the people in Judea, and Ishmael and his buddies come to Gedaliah uh, and say, what the heck? You're working with Nebuchadnezzar, right? And they kill Gedaliah. And because of that, they have just killed the person Nebuchadnezzar put in charge. What is that going to mean? Trouble. Trouble. So they go to Egypt because they're afraid of the Chaldeans coming down to punish them for having taken out Nebuchadnezzar's appointee. Okay? Some claim... <clears throat> So Gedaliah, it says, was of royal blood. But some want to say, I forget if it was in Jeremiah or somewhere else where we get this story, uh, another version of the story, uh, that he's, he's uh, they, they, they think he's not, that he's, he's so big on himself and he's so Mr. Royal Blood and he's so whatever, but he's not priestly enough. Like he's not you know, connected enough to the priesthood. So I think I'm, I could be making that up. <laughs> uh, how does the Deuteronomic history end? Back in Mesopotamia and back in Egypt. According to the Deuteronomist, the whole project was a failure. The whole thing failed. Mm -hmm. The entire business, the entire story of the ancient Israelites is a massive story of failure. <laughs> they leave Mesopotamia, they leave Egypt, they wind up in the promised land, and what happens? How do they finally finish things off in the promised land? Israelites kill the Israelite in charge, and the remnant of the people have to flee to Egypt. It's all one big failure. <laughs> Micha said, if we didn't know who wrote this, we'd say it was written by anti-Semites. Yes. Uh, that was my question. It, it would so, what do you think? I think yes. <laughs> it's written by anti-Semites? <laughs> what is the purpose of a cyclic narrative like this. So, possibly, it's about keeping us yearning for going back. What else? Maybe we could do it better Maybe, maybe we should learn something yeah. from the failure. Yeah. 
right? Maybe we got a little too comfortable. Maybe we didn't treat our neighbors the way we're, we were supposed right. to. Maybe, right, maybe we need to figure out how to do it differently this time because it didn't work. We never got there. We got there and we lost it because we never got there. So doesn't that beg the question of, of what comes next? It can't be a coincidence that the, the next thing that follows when we turn the page, we have Isaiah, who's the first of the prophets. And so if you go through the what, 12 or however many there were, who are they speaking to? Are they speaking, they're not speaking to the Jews who are in Babylon. They're not speaking to the Jews who are in Egypt. They're speaking of the people who are left. So the, the earliest prophets, right, are speaking to an Israelite society. Amos is talking to Israelites. But are they? But are they talking to? But in the because the because the history the, the timeline gets very jumbled. Are they talking to? Are they talking to Israelites before? the exile to Babylon? Okay, so this is not... So, some. I mean, it depends which prophets we're right. talking about. The early prophets influenced the priestly writing, remember? Okay. The holiness code is but a result late, of... But the late prophets presumably might be talking to people who are left in the For sure. In the sense of this is what we need to do to avoid the catastrophe that happened hundreds of years ago or something. So left the, the thing to remember is this is written in the shadow of the failure of Israel. It's, so we always think of it as, oh, it starts at Genesis and then it ends just before they cross into the land. No. <laughs> it starts at Genesis and ends here. The Deuteronomic history ends with the whole project failing. failing. So the point becomes what what. So Micha said, it's not only the story of what is the book about, it's also what does the book do? What does the book accomplish? And this book is, if you take the Deuteronomic history, DH, as it were, that book, DH, is about a failed project. Because the, Deuter the Deuteronomist is living in the shadow of that. So the question becomes, it's not why have it end there. That's what happened. <laughs> right? Like it's, it's true. So now it's about right, writing a cyclical story that ends like this. It gives, I guess what I'm saying is it gives the movement out of Mesopotamia and the movement out of Egypt different meaning. It, when you're looking at it from being back there. It's kind of the real story. It's, it's the real story, right, Jonna? Taking nothing for granted. That, you know, because we're where we are, we still have the opportunity to continue to grow and to be open and to see the, the laws and follow them. Mm -hmm. Sarah? Well, it seems that cycle has happened many times. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah. Yes. And so the, the project, right? Over and over and over for the Jewish people, we build and 
We destroy. We get kicked out. And we build, and we get kicked out. We build, and it's all burned, right? And, like you said, and, and this is written by people living in the shadow of the Shoah. Mass destruction of the Jewish people and everything they had. Everything. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to make comparisons, but Europe is one place. This was destruction of the Jewish civilization, yeah. right? In its entirety at the time, right? So the, the people who are writing this are living in the shadow for them of, of, the, of the Chorban, of the Shoah. And just like us, like you said so beautifully, the reason we can be who we are is because that's who we've always been. It's who we've always been. And we keep telling this story. And we keep reading these texts. And we come from the ashes again and again and again. We keep living this story. This is who we are. Somebody had their hand up over here. Remember? Well, I think about the I really want to make it next time, I need to be able to evolve. And I think it's, it's, it's true for the nation as well. Right. So for us as a people, we have to. We have to evolve. So here we are, what, a week and a half from the beginning of the time of Truva, which is in a way a personal straying. I mean, the theme is one of personal straying, missing the mark, and being able to come back. And so this, when you talk about this, I mean, it's, it's people, and ostensibly it's morally going off compass and being spreaded, but there's always that hope of being able to come back. So to me it relates, I mean, I don't think it's an accident we're right before the high holidays and we're talking about this. Right, right, that there's built into our resilience or maybe our resilience is in part because mm-hmm. we have a, a, a theology and a practice that says change is truly, evolution is truly possible and that we, we largely control that mm-hmm. Amy, if, if all of the prophetic writing is about disaster it's not and yet we're here is there prophetic writing about our renewal from this? Yeah. Absolutely. Nachamu, nachamu, ami. Comfort my people. Yes, there's We're right visions of return. Of consolation. Was it four or six? I forget. So how six. do we get out of the six. trail? Where does it come from? Where, where? There's six. The, the, in, in the six weeks before, traditionally, the Haftorah, is they're called the Haftorahs of Consolation, which is prophets who are saying, things are terrible, but... I that's will take you back in love. Yeah, I'll take you back in love. That's Isaiah. Okay. Um, but, but it means we have to change. Mm-hmm. We have to do it differently. We're still there, but we have to change to survive. We have to change for God to take us back. Right? And, you know, traditionally it's third temple and, right? All that good stuff. So why exactly is it our fault? Because people, other people keep coming in and killing us. Well, if you have a God whose chosen people we are, how could God let that? Why would God let that happen? Isn't God more powerful than the Babylonians? How could God let that happen? 
If God is all powerful and all good, and we're the chosen people, we can't we can't be conquered by an outside force. If God doesn't want that to happen, God intervened at the Red Sea and saved us. How come God didn't save us from the Babylonians? You have to have an answer for that. And the answer is, we weren't living in line with the covenant. And so we lost it. We lost access to what the reward was for living into the covenant. We just read it. Yeah? Your fields will be blessed, your bounty, your cattle, your blah, 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 blah. We lost it all. Sheldon, you okay? There's another cycle here right after this. Okay. Talk to me. The Persians defeated the Babylonians and the Israelites came back to, to uh, Israel. And of course, we screwed up again. And the Romans <laughs> right? Maccabees? <laughs> we, like, you take it back, you clean the temple and all of that stuff, and then, right? But they I screwed it up. A recent quote from Captain you were just reading Kaplan? No, just it was an excerpt. <laughs> oh, okay. Probably <laughs> by a newsletter from Chaos. Yeah, right. <laughs> which was, in terms of personal responsibility, as I remember he said, uh, religion, theocracy without action, <laughs> It's like a restaurant with a menu with no food. <laughs> Say that again? Well, maybe it wasn't a debate. Theology without action, right? The coming back is like a restaurant that has a menu but no food. Right. Nice word. That's beautiful. So that you can yeah. look at it and want it, but there's no real possibility of being sated. Yeah. Right of, of eating it. We've been empowered, I think, as, as Jews to do the right or wrong thing. Say say what? We have been empowered by God, perhaps, to do the right or the wrong thing, uh, based on our choice. For sure. So we can choose to be resilient or not. For sure. Right. Um, so the. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why, why read this? Right? Why, why, why is this our central text? Why create a cyclic narrative? Why read this? Why study this? Why, why, why? And um, it's an indictment, essentially, of the Jewish people. to change. Um, I think it's, it's also, you know, as Sarah so beautifully articulated, I, I, think, I think it's a reminder that we have an obligation to be resilient. Mm-hmm. It's not just that we are, 
right? It's that we have an obligation. If this story is not to end here in a double return, right? A double exodus that leads to a double return. If the story isn't to end there, it's because we decide to be resilient. We We decide, we choose to create another chapter after the Deuteronomic history. And we have repeatedly, obviously, but, um, but, but I feel like we're at another such time. Yes. We're at another place of possible serious rupture, right. which is we are being invited with open arms to assimilate into the American culture. And Kaplan was very proud about walking firmly into civilizations. In no way does he want to denigrate our American identity. It is, but it is not the only one we have. We still belong to this civilization. And this civilization lives only through the Jewish people. Only. Other people can reference it. Other people have been influenced by it, certainly, including our Constitution, certainly. But this civilization only lives in the Jewish people. So if we completely abandon what it means to live as Jews, then the story truly is over. Then it truly is a failure. Or you might say, wow, that was a great project. That lasted a few thousand years. That's awesome. But if not, it's because we, in this room, in this building, in these communities, we choose not to let the story end in failure. Shabbat Shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.